You're listening to the Stronger Stride podcast with your hosts, Lydia Mackay and Sophie Lane. All right, welcome guys. Welcome back to the Stronger Stride podcast. You're here with Lydia Mackay and Sophie Lane. Welcome, Sophie. Hello, Lydia. How are you going? I'm very well. Thank you for asking. Um, what about our listeners? How How is everybody doing? How's everyone feeling? <laughs> um, I know you can't respond, but... Well, we could. We just can't hear the answer. I, well, that's Ooh. true. But I was going to say, I mm. want everyone... I want everyone. Everyone should assess how they are going and just take a moment yeah. to think about Personal how they're feeling. Analysis. Yeah. Do a physical analysis. Do a mental analysis. Yeah. Just to check in. Check up I on would, yourself. I agree. Yeah. And let us know as well. After your self-reflection, yes, a DM. How did you Please feel? Do. Out of ten, yes, yes. And if yeah, there that's are good. Any things that you notice, let's start working on them. Hey, put them in a journal, maybe. Write maybe don't down. send all the issues to Sophie and I because we as love much counseling. as Oh, do we? Oh, we are well. fully trained and <laughs> know exactly the right things to tell you. But yeah. no, sometimes it's good just to let it out, whether or not you get a decent response or not. Hundred mm. percent, if needed. <laughs> That's true. And you know what? I think the best time to let out your issues or like just chat about things is when you're on a long run with a friend. Yeah, a few hours in, you're starting to feel tired. You need some yeah. good stories to distract yourself, and you just have a check in, mental health chat. That's it. That's good. Gosh, we got deep oh. real quick. Yeah, let's see. What's it. going on? How How was your week, Soph? Tell me. Pretty Give good. me a bit of an update on. The last two weeks, actually, because UTA is around the corner. It is. It's um, coming very soon. Yep. Um, I've had some good couple of weeks. I've been around a little bit. Went back to the coast for Easter. Um, oh, lovely. So I went around Kinkama Mountain and then I went for a big run around Budo. Oh, I saw that. Sue, which was so nice. Lots of stairs, lots of sand, but the best sunrise. Like, I think oh. that's got to be the best sunrise location. Easily. Um, In fact, that video you put on Instagram, I was like, oh, yeah. oh there I love so it. Many. I, I just, just love oh. it. The first time, video was the best. It was so yeah, good. Okay. Yes. It was a nice pan. Yeah, well, it was like, you know how it's like the pre-sunrise and then like every few minutes it changes so much. You're like, oh, no, oh, this looks better. Oh, no, this is... I know. Oh, no. And, and it's, it's hard. like there's yeah. 10 videos and you're like, oh, my gosh, I don't know. Like, it was all just so nice. But, yeah. Yeah, so that was a big highlight. Yeah. And then I went... Camping at Silver Rock, so I went up to Mount Sugarloaf Lighthouse, did a few hill reps up there, um, and That's then impressive. just did a few other shorter runs between between those ones. Um, so about fifty or fifty five k's two weeks ago, and then fifty last week. So still oh, nice! Still having a slight Achilles dilemma, which is why oh. I'm kind of holding back a little bit, but still getting through what I need to get through, um, and we'll deal with that later. Have you been doing your isometrics? I have. I've been doing all, all the things. Um, oh. But I, I honestly think it won't fully heal until I like, until post UTA. Oh, <laughs> I don't think okay. I, you can train that much and heal it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, um, it's a fine line, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So it's a yeah a post UTA project. <laughs> but it's just got to be like, not totally flared up right oh yeah no it's definitely it's like a two out of ten it's not significant but it's still just there so i'm just monitoring and adjusting as required but no everything's going well 
How were your two weeks? My two weeks were good. They were high on the volume for me. Yes, Um, PB cracked the 100k weekly total. Yeah, triple digits. Never thought I'd see the day. Um, I should have screenshotted it on Strava, but I still can technically. Yeah. Um, Screenshot it, print it up, print it. Oh, I put it in a frame. Big poster size, put it in a frame. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's. That'll be a little DIY project for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> Printing it up. Maybe like um, a billboard even. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. Maybe I'll put it on my front door just so everyone knows. <laughs> so all the uni students know what I do with my I'd free be bragging. Time. You didn't even post it. Like not even in your Strava caption was, oh, like hit 100Ks. I'd, that would be plastered everywhere if I hit that. You wait till the week if it ever comes. <laughs> post gta it deserves um, a brag it's a good master yeah oh, i'm stoked i'm bragging right now i'm talking about it right now all our listeners yeah, guys true. did 100ks in one week um <laughs> yeah that's it that's, i think it was 100ks and 100 meters 100.1 oh, something like that so, i know yeah Too might much. as well call it 200 right <laughs> yeah. i was on the way why'd you stop there <laughs> yeah i should have kept going i almost wanted to stop at 99.9 i was gonna see if i could just do that because i was like why how because i because i'd annoy so many people oh. i mean so many people just you <laughs> yeah, no all the people cares. who care Does about trauma <laughs> i just it's annoy just myself uh, no, it's fine. I fixed it. Not fixed it. I just did it. Anyway, it was a good week. And the week Ooh. before that was 85Ks. So, so 85 was my biggest week ever. And then I did 100. So I think, I think it all sounds good, but this is the perfect storm for an injury. So I'm just being so super cautious and like really checking in with my body. That's why I said before, important to check in with yourself, yep. checking what's tight, checking what's not tight changing my shoes, changing my surfaces, making sure my easy runs are actually easy and trying to run as slow as I can and not pushing myself and um, monitoring my intensity and yes. my my overall training load. Good. And I so, think that's quite a good segue to this week's episode, actually. You know, it is. I, Did you I do think, that on I'm just so good. We're well, getting good at this podcast. Yeah. <laughs> we may not be good at the technical side of it because yeah. this is the second time we've attempted oh. this recording. I think this one's better than the first one. I thought the first one was oh, good. Oh, okay. Wow. Practice is making not perfect. I know you can't say that anymore. What do you say? Practice makes good, permanent. Perfect. Yeah. Well, either way, Ooh. we're getting better. <laughs> That's not quite what we wanted, though. Practice makes progression, potentially. But I think practice perfect makes permanent. practice makes something anyway we're getting better right <laughs> leave us a comment <laughs> um but yes good segue about injuries because that is who our guest is for this episode he is the injury king when it comes to preventing running injuries so we have Brody sharp physiotherapist podcaster um what else is he? He's a runner, of course. We always have runners on. Um, but Brody Sharp is an absolute wealth of knowledge. And basically his mission as a physio is to reduce running injuries. Um, and his idea or his sort of big philosophy is that if we train smarter, we can avoid getting injuries in the first place. Um, so he doesn't say that you can never, ever get an injury if you follow a strict rule book per se 
but he talks about how there's lots we can do to really reduce that risk and just be smart about our training, smart about our exercise selection. Um, and with knowledge and education, we can heal from our injuries and run more because no one likes being injured, right? No way. The worst. What else, Soph? What else does he talk about? What else? So much stuff. Like just a lot of common errors that a lot of beginners or unexperienced, inexperienced runners make. Um, mm. We talk a lot about monitoring volume. I know we go on a lot about how many Ks we do in a week. <laughs> I think that's just because we just like to... I don't know. I just like numbers. We like personally. numbers. Yeah, yes. we like numbers. Yes, Did like maths in high school. Yeah, um, but it was interesting kind of to miss talk maths about. A little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Who are you? <laughs> um, yes, but it's not all about the case. So there's a lot more factors that go into, I guess, training volume, training load. So yes, if you do a big, long, hilly, slower run that maybe doesn't give you that many Ks, the actual load put on your body is the same or more as a long run. Basically, is what we got around to so you've got to consider all the factors when you're planning your training and just again coming back to that whole thing of not doing too much too soon mm. yeah I mean I think yeah that's the common theme isn't it too much too soon is the biggest issue with injuries we won't we won't go into that because that's what we chat about in the episode but yeah he does talk about different ways to actually manage your load or, or track your load because it is confusing um, and he also talks about shoe selection which it's quite interesting, a little bit about some biomechanics and running technique. We talk about shin splints, knee pain. We talk about the 10% rule, which probably lots of people are familiar with. Um, and they're sort of, yeah, the main ones, as you said, so all the common mistakes. So definitely uh, pay close attention to this episode. I'd write some notes down or maybe just listen to it twice and yeah there's so much so much that any runner can get out of this because we all know injuries suck when you're injured it means you're not actually running so you're not going to make those performance gains and I feel like often as runners uh, or particularly endurance athletes you're always trying to overstretch and get fitter and faster the, the quickest so it's easy to do more and think more is better but I think sometimes you have to remind yourself that if you do more and get injured you actually have more time off, which means you go backwards. So a really great episode about preventing those injuries and getting you to your goals. Definitely. All right. Let's take it away then, hey? That's it. excuse the awkward intro. (laughs) Oh, yes. The intro is awkward. And I say interpreted or something weird in there as well. So just ignore that. Um, And one more thing, guys. Don't forget to... Subscribe to the podcast, write us a lovely review, or if you have a bad review, maybe just send it to us in a message and we'll take the feedback (laughs) on and then we'll make some adjustments. Um, But just, yeah, any feedback, any suggestions, any podcast episodes that you'd like, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, that's it. And we're going to post every week or every time we upload an episode, we post about it on Instagram. So, if you aren't on Instagram or if you are on there, give us a follow at Stronger Stride. And if you can share our posts on your story or take a screenshot when you're listening, share it on your story. Help us get the word out there because um, we know, especially this episode, a lot of runners will get a lot of value out of this. So the more people that know about these things, the better. Yeah, that's it. That'd be awesome, guys. Really appreciate the love and support you've shown us so far. 
All right. Okay. Enjoy. We'll get into it. Enjoy, guys. Happy listening. Happy running. Awesome. So we have got Brody here, uh, Brody Sharp from the Run Smarter podcast. Um, he's also does a number of different things, so I'll probably be better off letting him introduce himself. Um, but he's a physio, a runner as well, and has a heap of knowledge that we're really keen to let you guys listen to. So if you want to take it away, Brody, just give us a bit of a rundown on yourself and what you do. Sure, absolutely. Welcome, Brody Sharp. Thank you, Sophie. Thank you, Lydia. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yes, uh, my name's Brody. I am a physiotherapist from Melbourne and I have chose the niche of runners. So I now operate as a solo online physio and I only treat runners. And alongside that, I have found it very beneficial for my business and for helping my serve my purpose by uh, educating runners as best they can through a podcast just like this. And so I started the Run Smarter podcast at the start of um, 2020. And the goal was to help educate runners and help them make smarter training decisions because we all know that runners, they want to reduce their risk of injury. We know that they want to increase their running performance and we do so making smarter training decisions. And we know that the vast majority of injuries that are out there that runners um, that runners get are due to training errors. And so if we can highlight a lot of these methods, if we can educate them the best way we can, if we can address all these misconceptions and myths that are out there, if we can interview the best health professionals, uh, then the runners are going to help. It's going to help the runner survive and thrive. And education goes a long way. It's a good investment because you learn the lesson and then you've got it for the rest of your life to apply and take it through to a, a nice, successful running career. So that's me in a nutshell. Wow, yeah, that's fantastic. Awesome. That's awesome. It sounds like you're very passionate. How long have you had the podcast for? So um, I actually had a, a podcast prior to this. It was called Everyday Running Legends. And that went for two ah. years as I was, um, as I started my physio, or as I started my running journey, actually. I just wanted to get okay. more involved, but quickly transitioned when I started doing this online physio stuff and started working more alongside runners and the the new podcast. So the Run Smarter podcast kind of just replaced the old podcast where I was putting on more of the professional hat rather than interviewing a lot of people. And so, um, mm-hmm. yeah, it's been like I've pushed out maybe two episodes a week on average and it's wow, up to around a about lot. 120 episodes in the last 12, 13, 14 months it's been going. Wow. Wow. That puts us to shame. That's really good. <laughs> we all have to start somewhere, don't we? It's <laughs> good. It's awesome. It's good that That's you haven't amazing. run out of ideas yet. Keep them coming. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> there's just so many. Well, and like, I think it's a good idea because there's so many, like so many runners just that love to learn more about the sport and obviously so many runners that get injured. So there's like kind of a never ending supply of information that is needed to get out there. And I think um, you talk about it quite a lot, but a lot of misconceptions out there too that, Maybe people just kind of Google something and think, oh, yeah, that's the answer, but it might not actually be appropriate for them. So I think just, yeah, the more knowledge you can get out there, that um, the better for everyone. Yeah, that's one of my huge passions is trying to uncover a lot of misconceptions because there are tons mm. that are out there and just mm. maybe just getting rid of a lot of the confusion. Like if, if a runner mm. is injured, they hear different things from Google, they hear different things from runners, they hear different things from health professionals and it's really just muddled up and people say, no, you need to stretch, no, don't stretch, you need to ice, no, mm. don't ice. Um, you, should, you can keep running, stop running and it's, it's extremely confusing. And so if we follow the, the research and we follow the, the best people in the world, then it can, 
that blurry muddied water starts to become a bit more clear and yeah that it it's kind of liberating in a way rather than just being really muffled and just staggering into a lot of confusion yeah for yeah. sure and so is that kind of did, why oh sorry Lydia <laughs> no <laughs> you're good go for it um so is that why you kind of transitioned to online physio like is it just to kind of reach a broader audience because I guess that's probably not super common or not that I'm aware of. Like a lot of people just practice out of private practices or hospitals or whatever it is in person. Um, how did you find going from doing that to then transitioning online? Was it just to reach more people or? Um, it was to reach more people and also come to the understanding, like I can help a lot of people online. It just doesn't need to be, um, it, it just made sense to me business wise. And I was thinking when I was going to leave my employee job to, open up my own clinic and then I made the decision not to open up a generic clinic but to open up a running specific physio clinic mm-hmm. and then one someone suggested to me who one of my colleagues who already started an online physio business he was niching into men's health and thought why don't you just do it online I thought there's a lot of runners past their acute phase um, where they don't necessarily need hands-on physio but I could do so much for them online and if I do broaden myself and do it online, then I can reach so many more people and help so many more people. And we'll probably talk about it a lot today, but a lot of what I do is education. A lot of what I do is just helping them understand what's going on and what exercises to do, how to do a running program properly, how to do their strengthening exercises properly. They send me videos of them running. They send me videos of them doing their deadlifts and their squats. And I help provide a lot of feedback with that. And we just see a lot of really, really good results. That's yeah, amazing. Awesome. So just to take it back a little bit, um, did your interest in running physio come about because you were a runner and you were coming across these injuries yourself or did you sort of, I mean, maybe you'd always run and then you were treating a lot of runners and saw the need for better education, better treatment, or was it sort of a mixture of both? Uh, good question. It was essentially like, it was about two or three years into my physio career that I actually became a runner and triathlete Ah, and got a lot of injuries myself. And I grew up playing basketball. And so I was playing basketball up until my early twenties and then mid twenties is when I started running. And then that's when the passion started. That's when I recognized when someone would come in and I, uh, they were injured and they told me they were a runner. That's when like this, huge passion just started and I just wanted to talk about what running shoes do you have? What cadence do you run with? Like <laughs> what races are you preparing yeah. for? And I just had this passion to try and get them back to pain-free running as best I can. And it was a bit of self-reflection being like, okay, I'm buzzing after these people leaving the room. It's bringing out my better self as a physio. How about I just try and spend more time around this population and try and um, develop a, my own purpose to, to help this population. And so that's what kind of stemmed from, that's what kind of, helped me make those business decisions moving forward yeah cool well that's fantastic that's awesome and with those clients that you kind of see now that you're kind of very specialized with the running world what are the kind of the most common sort of I guess mistakes that you see um, either new runners make or experienced runners is there something that kind of pops up quite often that you think why don't people realize this and it kind of it, it makes sense to you but it just keeps coming up um, yeah, frequently. And, and I guess a lot of the injuries that do occur, it could be the knee, hip, ankle, whatever, it, it does come around all the a universal uh, 
training error and that's essentially just doing too much too soon that's like Mm. usually the crux of why someone would get injured and Mm. we know that it's essentially if we were to break it down into more of a technical kind of term it's the when the runner will exceed their capacity to adapt if they've done something that's exceeded their adaptation zone so their body just won't start handling that load that they're putting it through and will start breaking down rather than building up Mm. and getting stronger and so if you exceed that capacity to adapt then this is when signs and symptoms start turning up and injuries start manifesting themselves and so most people can most runners can recognize if they've done too much too soon so that being like an increased mileage they've gone from running 50 miles a week to running 80 miles a week and it's just too Mm. much or speed speed work is a big one but some things that they might miss and what we call it might not be doing too much too soon but it being too of an abrupt change that still sparks or spikes their training load in a certain way um might be a little bit hidden but things like terrain if they've changed their terrain too drastically so all of a sudden going from flats to running hills or changing directions so going from road running to trails um I know a lot of people go to running around the river and there's just a very slight slope bank towards the water and they're not used to doing it. And so um, it just puts a a very slight load on their body. But if they're running in the same direction every time and they've just gone from flats to then running around that river three times a week, that could be an abrupt change Mm. and changing their type of shoe. If they've gone from a supportive shoe to a lesser shoe, that could be an abrupt change as well if that transition isn't gradual enough. And so usually when I'll see a runner come in with an injury, no matter what type of injury, there's usually that sort of pattern. Um, There Mm. are a couple of hidden dangers where uh, a runner might not overtrain, but they under recover. And so that might be like a, their training stays completely consistent and they move that same training load to the next week. However, in this next week, they're not sleeping as well There's like they've got a new job promotion or there's a lot of stress involved and their body isn't just handling the load that it used to. And they can actually get an overuse injury without overloading because they're under recovering. And so mm. that sums up a whole bunch of the, um, these lessons that I teach my runners. That's sort of like the universal foundations of why a yeah. runner would get injured. Mm. But, um, it's just a universal principle that every runner needs to know. So I'm glad we've covered it already in this episode. Yeah, yeah. yeah super useful. So do, does that so common? Does that mean then that every runner needs to be always monitoring what they're doing? Like, is having a training diary or using Strava or having some kind of assessment week to week really important? Because I know there's plenty of people who aren't interested in that and they just want to go for a casual run here or there or occasionally they might do four runs a week and then they'll just do one and it changes all the time is that a bad idea to not be sort of checking in with your training like how do you advise people on that if you're not really data driven you don't like following a particular Mm. running program you just love running just want to run exactly it can just be listening to your body it can just like if Mm. you go for a run and you don't feel great Maybe there's a reason for that, Um, but you can still just enjoy running, not follow the data and still have in mind what overdoing it is. Like most people know when they're overdoing things. So sort of know where their capacity is and if they want to slowly increase their capacity, if they want to train for a marathon or if they want to just get a faster 5k PB, that's when they Mm. have to start following a plan because you have ambitions that need to follow a 
pretty set structure. But if you're a runner just loves running, like I don't follow, I hardly ever follow a running plan, but I know where my capacity is. I know if I try doing 10 Ks three days next week, um, it increases the likelihood of me breaking down unless I've trained for it. Um, yeah. So yeah, don't have to follow the numbers if you don't like the numbers, but at least have a general <laughs> guideline of where your adaptation zone is and just don't do anything too silly. Mm-hmm. Just be sensible with the, the running that you're doing and keep in mind that if something is an abrupt change, if someone invites you to go do hill runs or someone says you need to wear these shoes, just make sure that it's a gradual transition. And if you're not ready for it, then train for it or back off. Yeah, I guess that's what a lot of people struggle with is um, figuring out kind of where that boundary is because a lot of the time you probably don't know how much is too much until you've gone past that limit. Um, Yes. So would you say following a program is probably a good thing to do at the start to kind of figure out your limits because otherwise how do you know like how do you know your boundaries how do you yeah. figure that and out your boundaries always change it depends mm. like if you have a bad week where you're not sleeping a lot that boundary then drops and yep. you need to recognize that and that's why runners always get injured it's so hard to find that line and that's why mm. athletes get injured and that's why you see all these like runners with soft tissue injuries that you think they would be monitoring their loads quite well but they're flirting with the the boundaries as much as they can because they know the the more they can flirt and still not get injured the more they're going to get benefits because they're still staying within that adaptation zone but any loose wobble or any overload or any change any poor quality of sleep then tips them over the edge and so it's nice to know where your boundary is but if a runner doesn't want to get injured uh how do we know and the best way the best way i can describe is just start off with exactly like a very comfortable spot of where you know you can tolerate and then just slowly build your way up from there like Mm -hmm. you might think to yourself like i know if i go for a 5k run right now that i'm totally fine because i've done that so many times before and so if i wanted to train for an ultra i would say okay let me start where i know i'm safe and then just slowly build up from there and a lot Mm. of times if someone's say returning from injury and we want to know where their adaptation zone currently is if they haven't run for six weeks or six months and they want to know where their adaptation zone currently is. I just say start off with an embarrassingly slow, embarrassingly short run and then just work your way up from there because we know we're not going to overdo things and we're just learning along the way and we're just adapting along the way. We might underload you for the first week or two. That's okay, but we'll hit your adaptation zone soon enough and then we'll continue building up from there. Yeah, yeah, Mm. that makes sense. So does um, the... 10% 10% rule exists. I think that's something that <laughs> is often spoken about in the running community. People talk about increasing their mileage by 10% or yeah. then some people talk about increasing their time running by 10% and then you realize that it's actually probably more like everyone has a different definition of that as well. So it's quite confusing. What are your thoughts? Yeah, you can go off different metrics. And what is 10%? Is it your overall mileage? Is it your yeah. intensity? Is it, mm. yeah, it's really That's hard. It. The Well, if you did follow, say, 10% and we thought that it's overall like weekly mileage, if you're a new runner who isn't doing a lot of running to start with, that is extremely conservative. You are going to, if you <laughs> increase by 10% every week, you're getting nowhere. You're getting nowhere fast. Whereas if someone yeah. is an ultra marathon runner, if they build up by 10%, then they're probably hitting a really good zone. They're probably progressing quite nicely. And so you really mm. need to, it really just depends. It's an extremely conservative um, approach for most of us, but some people need to be conservative 
if they've had a long history of overuse injuries or their training philosophy is like a go hard or go home or constantly pushing themselves, then maybe they need to follow that 10% rule. But um, there's no evidence to support it, just to Mm, let you know. Someone's just come up with that. And if they are a new runner, I'd say maybe 15% if we're just talking mileage. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe 15% is quite nice for them. But keep in mind that every time we bump it up and maybe try 20%, we're just slightly increasing our risk of injury. Um, We're not going to definitely Mm. get injured. We're going to slightly increase our risk of injury. If you go to 30%, we're going to increase our risk of injury even more. But we're not even taking into consent uh, any pace or any intensity. We're worried about mileage. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. There's so many variables to it. Yeah. Mm. There's some metrics that I like to use where you times the minutes running by your perceived effort. So um, uh, out of 10. Okay. And so let's just say a runner goes for a 10-minute um, a run and they're running at a 5 out of 10 intensity. That's 50 points. That's like 50 arbitrary exercise units. And yeah, okay. then you can calculate that over the week and say they've reached 550 arbitrary exercise units over that week and then we don't increase that by more than 15%. That way we're factoring in mileage, which is minutes, and we're factoring in intensity, which is like their rate of perceived exertion. And um, that could be quite nice. I, I usually use yeah, that for runners returning from injury. Yeah, right. That's so that, if you were to recommend a tool, that's the sort of thing that you would use to judge an increase. Yeah, it's easy for me to calculate it. It's easy for me to add it all at the end of the week and see if, they've, if that week has been successful. Okay, you can now mm. tolerate... 600 exercise units and we'll make sure that Mm. next time isn't 750 exercise units because Mm. um, people can easily follow mileage but it's they can easily overdo themselves following that 10 percent rule with mileage and then just uh run as fast as they can for some of their runs and then just get an overuse injury yeah it's a good Mm. point yeah very good yeah so obviously um this just still again on this similar note when you talk about increasing mileage and obviously it's dependent dependent upon each person like whether someone's coming back from injury whether they're training for a particular event do you have a recommended go to four weeks on one week deload or a six week build one week deload or do, you, do is that just so variable person to person i don't usually see a lot of runners who aren't injured that just want to train for a marathon they usually find like a running coach or something Usually I'm the one trying to get them back to pain-free running and I'm following a return to run program. And once they're pain-free, I'll give them like a generic kind of exercise program. But um, usually if they're back to pain-free running and then I'll work on doing all their rehab and all their continuing their exercises. And then I'll just tell them just to follow a generic running program. Um, And if they do want me to do some sort of say train for a marathon i can still do it for them but i don't really follow a particular structure with that i'll just tailor to the individual and build up that way yeah Mm -hmm. yeah it'd be very variable depending on the goals time frame there's a lot Mm. yeah okay that's awesome um i guess the next thing that we would like to dive into we've spoken about the common mistakes what about just the top injuries that you see for a beginner runner is there ones that just you keep seeing and is it like how varied are the injuries that you see unfortunately the the people that i usually see are the ones who are really really chronic and they're not usually Ah, the new runners they'll usually see a runner so 
a new runner who gets injured will usually see a, a generic physio first and it's the ones who don't get better and they've seen two chiros, they've seen three physios, they've seen doctors, scans, possible surgeries oh, and they're still not getting better. That's wow. the ones that usually see me because um, they've usually they've had enough and they've like, all right, mm. let's give let's give Brody the online physio a go. Um, <laughs> but to answer your question, so the, the generic new runner, um, if they're a female, they're most likely going to get knee pain is the most common, like patellofemoral pain mm. is the most common running injury that um that you'll see the ones that i normally see are people who have plantar fasciitis or those who have Ah. proximal hamstring tendinopathy because those two conditions they really don't get better just on their own um patellofemoral pain can get better on its own but if you mistreat those two particular conditions um for a long time they just get super chronic and it's really really hard to overcome and so that's they're usually the ones that filter down into me but yeah, I sometimes see shin splints. I sometimes see like um, people with glute med tendinopathy that can be quite common for runners. But if you look at the evidence, if you look at the prevalence of runners that get injured, patellofemoral pain is pretty pretty high up there. Um, plantar fasciitis is pretty common as well. Achilles tendinopathy, um, depending on the demographic, depending on the type of runner. Mm. Yeah, cool. Yeah, you definitely hear a lot of people complaining about knees and shins i mean i think yeah most people that i speak to within the running community have definitely got a whole load of like you know an interesting history of injuries but particularly for new runners i always see people complain about knees and shins and i often hear things like oh i can't run because oh my knees my knees don't let me run or like my my shins i've got shin splints i can't run like i'll never be able to run um which would would you say that's a myth is there some people that just can't run if their shins are hurting when they run and their knees are hurting should they just usually sell their running shoes (laughs) i'd say every runner well every person if they wanted to can be a runner there's um there's nothing that can there's nothing to suit the the general population to say okay you you can't run because the body does amazing jobs at adapting to whatever you want the body to do as long as you do it sensible enough and as long as you build up and it's usually the ones who start running and either they they just don't get to that adaptation zone where they reach the the steady state kind of sweet spot they just they're just constantly running where they're feeling exhausted their calves are burning their legs are so sore um and they're like, no, nah, running just isn't for me. They don't give the, the the three to four weeks a go of running consistently until the body adapts so that you can run and feel like you're, you've got your breath under control. Um, but in the same way, like you talk about with injuries, a new runner can just easily overdo themselves and easily run for 15 minutes, which might be too much for them because we know every time you slam your, your foot on the ground, every time you take a step when you run, there's two to three times your body weight going through that knee joint and you do that tens of thousands of times every single run and it can just be too much for for a runner and maybe if they haven't done any running before they might not be as strong doing that movement and can easily spike them and easily exceed their adaptation zone and so Mm. that might be the type of runs like i'm never really going to be a runner and then you're like well have you done any Have you done like a couch to 5k where you're just walking for the vast majority of your run to start with and just doing little bits of running and then just slowly do a little bit more every single time Mm. so that you adapt and your knees get stronger to that load? Um, That can be an easy way to 
allow those joints and allow the body itself just to start tolerating running loads because you need to be strong to run. It's, it's quite surprising how much load goes through your body every single step. And it's quite surprising, even if you're doing like a shuffle, how much load is accumulating in your body over a 20 minute run. And people just don't really realize it. And then their body breaks down and they think that it's their, the way they run or they're just too weak or it's their pronation or it's, you know, how they're moving, it's their biomechanics. And it can easily just take them out of that. And so, yeah, that could be, um, that can be one reason and all they need to do is just have proper training to start. Mm. So is it as simple as just kind of gradually easing into it with that kind of walk running or is there other things to consider like strength training or biomechanics and your actual gait pattern? Is there other things that you should look at or is it more just start off slowly and you'll gradually just get used to it? For the vast majority, if you start off slowly and you just slowly work into it, it's going to help everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. Um, Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter your how weak you are or how inexperienced you are. If you start off gradually enough, you're going to be fine. But there are a few, I guess, foundation exercises or things you can do beforehand that allows you to start with a bigger base. Like say when I started running, I've played years and years of basketball and that's not necessarily like running in a straight line repetitively, but at least it's enough to build a strong enough base for me to start, you know, a 5K run. So I could probably start with four or 5K straight. Um, but someone who's in their mid forties and they haven't done any exercise for a long time. And then they decide to start running. They're starting off with a really low base and you want to do that walk run with them to start with. And so, yes, you can start doing strength training before you want to commit to running that will help build up some capacity. But like I said, anyone, if anyone can walk for half an hour without getting injured, then we can start somewhere. We can start with a half hour walk that contains five minutes of running in there and it can be spread out between 60 seconds of running five times and it can just be that gradual and you won't break down because it's so gradual that um, the body will just adapt along the way yeah cool and uh so to just go back to what you're saying before yes Mm -hmm. so strengthening can be important um Mm. running technique and and like biomechanics not so much you probably um there's a lot of i guess debate a lot of running coaches and a lot of health professionals think that it is a way a certain person runs that contributes to them getting injured. But you'd be surprised at how the body will adapt to a whole range of different running techniques and a whole bunch of different running styles and angles and that sort of thing. Um, we know that people who pronate, um, there's no link of pronation to injuries. Um, there's no link to like a whole bunch of different biomechanical mm. uh, issues that this is not linked to injury. So I think that yeah. needs to be highlighted so much that pronation's not linked to over pronation isn't linked to injury because I mean that's what the whole shoe industry tries to sell us, doesn't it? Yeah, that yeah. they've got a lot of money behind them. Yeah, it's insane. I mean, Soph and I love <laughs> love our running shoes, um, but it's yeah, it's insane. I mean, I my whole life wore. A super supportive shoe I wore the Asics Keanos which I loved I thought they were amazing the classic and I wore, I, yeah and I wore orthotics for like 10 years and I think I took them out and I changed to a different pair of shoes and my feet were so sore for a week just like wearing my shoes actually sorry I didn't change two things at once I just took the orthotics out and my feet were so sore and I was like oh my goodness that's it like I knew that 
the orthotics <laughs> I needed them. And then I, because I, this at this point I'd, I'd read that maybe, maybe I don't want to talk about orthotics really, but about how, you know, it's more about what you're used to. And I was like, it must just be in my head. And then anyway, my foot adapted within a few weeks and I have now she's got Vibrams. Since. Yes. Yeah. What a journey. Yes. Kayano's and orthotics to toe shoes. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Yeah. Can we there's, dive into a little bit about... I would love to uncover all of this. So uh, there's a few <laughs> things to break down there. There's yep. one, keep in mind that any any injury that you have may depend on your biomechanics, but it's almost always mixed with a training error. So if we have a runner mm. who is... Um, pronating who who will pronate more than another runner if they um, that will overload a little bit of their shins it will overload a little bit of the the tip post that that um, the tendon that's on the inside of the foot but the body will get used to having that slight increase in load in that particular area if you train well enough and you stay within that adaptation zone and so I've got mates who have horrendous pronation and it's cringeworthy for me to look at them as a physio, but they don't break down because they have their, their training so regimented and um, Mm. methodical that they adapt to. And we've seen like elite athletes who have like, they don't have perfect running techniques. They like collapsing in their knees and they're still winning marathons, but the body adapts amazingly to your, um, to your load. However, if you do have that runner who does have a little bit more pronation as soon as they have a training error, as soon as they do too much too soon, it's most likely going to be the tip post that gets overloaded and turns into mm. an injury. And so then they go to a physio and they say, oh, look, I've got this pain on the inside of my foot. And they say, let's have a look at how you're running. And they see, they have a look at this pronation. They say, you're pronating, that's leading to your injury. And so that's mm. um, that's why we need orthotics. That's why we need to correct this pronation. Mm. That's why we need to do all this strengthening because pronation is not a good thing. Look at all this collapsing in. Uh, we want to make sure everything's nice and aligned. And it's easy to buy into that. It's really mm. easy to buy in. Mm. You don't have someone over the other shoulder saying, hey, but they've been running for five years this exact same way and they haven't got injured. <laughs> um, it's only just when they've gone from running 50Ks a week to running 100Ks a week that this injury's come on. But like you said, Lydia, like you could get used to, you could adapt to having a supportive shoe and they can say, okay, wear this supportive shoe and see how things feel. And all of a sudden that supportive shoe offloads that tip post tendon and they feel better. They feel a lot better. And then they adapt to that shoe and then mm. say six months down the track, they say, you know what, maybe I'll try without this shoe. And they get rid of it and they put in their old traditional shoes. And all of a sudden there's that abrupt change again. And the tip post flares up because it's been supported all this time mm. that they then go to wear this other shoe where the tip post has to work and it's exceeding mm. their adaptation zone and their their tip post starts flaring up again. And that kind of confirms that belief in their mm. mind that, yes, I need support. I need those authorities. Yeah. The mm-hmm. physio was right. And it tends to feed more and yeah. more positive feedback to this belief when in fact it was yeah. just the adaptation. And if you were to go back to that injury and say, hey, let's do some strength work around this tip post. Let's not change too much about your running. We'll back off the mileage a little bit, but still run the same way you have. And let's like let's change along the way. Let's make sure your training load is consistent. Let's find a training load now that you can currently adapt to or you're currently tolerating, and let's build up from there. And they will return back. The tip post will get strong. They'll adapt still to their natural running uh, motion, and they'll still thrive as a runner. 
Mm. Yeah. So it sounds almost like um, the error is that people are sort of almost treating the symptoms as opposed to actually coming back to the source of the issue. I mean, maybe that's not quite the right way to explain it, but there's correlation between certain biomechanics and injuries, but that's not it works correlation not causation and a lot of the time we're overlooking as you've just said it's just about your training volume and yes you could have things that aren't in alignment but ultimately it's what your body is adapted to and yeah. what, you're, what and you've trained for yeah and there might be there might present a scenario where we may want to change someone's running style let's just say that same person has like done a methodical training program and just every time they just bump it up a little bit that tip post flares up and it's like constantly mm. frustrating and it's that it just keeps popping up keeps popping up there's ways we can change their running to offload that tip post and shift the load somewhere else the same can be said for the knee the same can be said for the hip the same can be said for um, plantar fascia or the calf or the achilles there are certain ways we can change how someone runs to offload a certain structure, but we're just increasing the load somewhere else. And so if someone comes mm. in with a constant, like they're constantly getting calf strains and they're so frustrated, we can say, hey, let's shift it because your body will adapt if you do it enough. You'll do, if you do enough strength training, if you do a follow program, it's most likely going to still thrive. However, there are other ways we can approach it and there are other ways we can shift the load in the body to another area where the body might be able to withstand it a little bit more. And a classic example is um, if someone has knee pain, then slowly maybe transitioning them away from an over an overreaching heel strike to a heel strike just underneath their body or just increasing their cadence. We know that if you increase your cadence by um, 10%, it reduces the knee loads by 15%. And so that can be a really nice shift for someone who has this overloaded patellofemoral joint. And But it's like I said, it's just shifting the load somewhere else and that's usually below the knee if we make that transition it's usually increasing the load to the calf and the achilles which technically Mm. might increase the risk of injury in that area but we're willing to take on that risk if they're constantly getting knee issues Mm. so do you think then that shoes can be a useful tool in i guess potentially preventing injury or maybe managing injury just from the perspective that you can use them to adjust the load around the body and sort of pick where you want to add load and pick where you want to deload to some extent. Is that sort of where you sit a little bit? To some extent, yeah. And it can be done carefully with the right guidance. I know that Mm. if my calves are particularly sore, I'll wear my shoes that have a 10 mil heel drop. And if I feel really fresh, Mm. I'll go to my zero drop shoes. Um, If my feet are particularly sore, like I had to deal with a foot injury for the last like two months, but that was like three months ago. Uh, I wore my supportive shoes more than I wore my minimalist shoes. And so depending on the injury, depending on the site that we want to offload or um, put more load towards, I can, we can shift to different types of shoes. Um, if someone has a calf, a constant calf or Achilles issue, sometimes hocker shoes could be like absolute magic for them because they're just not loading mm. the body the same way that they used to. And so it can be really nice, but we do need to make sure that not one shoe is right for every runner and we do need to make sure that we tailor it to that individual and we give them the right advice about how to transition shoes and yeah because sometimes transitioning to the right shoe too quickly can stem its own issues Mm. and so that's why we need to be really careful with our advice and how we actually approach it yeah and would you suggest people have more than one shoe i mean obviously 
finances come into it then but is there an issue with just having the same shoe and that's all you do your mileage in um, because then does it become too repetitive where all the loads are going into the same places should you alternate between a lower drop and a higher drop or a um, thicker sole and a more minimal shoe or something like that yeah it's, it's a good question it's it's depending on the individual um like we said like the it is a repetitive nature like running is a repetitive motion and people get overuse injuries because we're overloading one structure over and over and over again and so if we have two shoes that does change up the load then that theoretically that can help um, reduce the risk of overload injuries to a certain area but the same can be said if you do strength training if you do a team sport rather than running like you're just changing up the loads on your body throughout the week uh, i just mm. finished doing an episode on my podcast it was variety versus specificity like do we want to be really specific and adapt to one shoe because if you adapt to one shoe then you're not really going to get injured spending all that time mm. in that one shoe because you've adapted but Sometimes we want variety because we want to be more resilient as a runner. And I sort of come up with this analogy of, do you want to be a runner um, walking on a tightrope? Like how we have just like a, a really narrow rope that we want to try and do this tandem walking over where any sort of adjustment to your training will throw you off course and increase your risk of injury. Or do we want to have a bit of a wider um, and be more like increase that variety. So now you're walking on like a plank rather than a rope and you have a little bit more room, a little bit more wiggle room. You've adapted to a different, a few different shoes. You've adapted to a few different surfaces. Um, so you're less likely to get injured depending on what you throw at your body. And like if we're preparing for a race, do we get more specific for that race to closer to race day? Um, it's, there's no right or wrong answer. It's something that the runner themselves mm -hmm. need to try and work out themselves based on their own goals and based on their history. If they're constantly injured at a certain area, but it's worth the debate. It's worth the topic. Do we get really specific and tailored to a really narrow band or do we throw, do we increase that variety and just be a resilient runner so that anything that we throw at us, we don't break down and we can spread ourselves too thin because, you know, there's only seven days in the week and mm. we can't do everything. So yeah, it's a, mm. it's a good debate or something to self-reflect if you are a runner that's um, either getting injured or just wants to, change up their their training loads yeah, yeah I, sure. I um listened to that podcast actually when you released it and it was really interesting and yeah i'd recommend all our listeners to check it out but it, it was quite thought-provoking as well because it does make you question why you are running and what you're doing it for because i think when i sort of reflected on my own experiences and my own injuries it's reminded me i think that at times i do tend to do heaps of one thing and then suddenly I'll do something else and then I I'm probably much more on the varied spectrum I feel like I don't have much consistency really in one thing I sort of like jot around all over the place and I think that is potentially how I have gotten injured in the past because I'll do heaps of road running and then I'll forget about the road and then run in the bush for who knows how long and then wonder why I've sort of in my head I'm like oh, I've always been running why should I suddenly get an injury and obviously there's the load sorry there's the difference between um you know the, as we we're speaking up before like the terrain and the load on the body compared to road or trail or whatnot but I think also um having that variety I guess it needs to be consistent as well um as opposed to having different things you do but four weeks straight of this and then 10 weeks straight of that like you either have more variety regularly 
or you're sort of more on that tightrope. I hope that yeah. is, I've interpreted that correctly. Well, there is some there is some crossover effects. Like if you go for a road run and then you go for a trail run, there will be some crossover effects. Mm. But yeah. um, we can't really sp- spread ourselves too thin and say go for one trail run every four weeks and expect to adapt to trail running. Mm. It's just the body's yeah. just going to forget about it. Um, so, yeah, there are ways that we can spread too thin if we say, okay, I'm going to be as resilient as I can. I'm going to increase my variety. I'm going to do strength training, gym classes, boxing classes, road running, trail running, and it all just ends up being not enough, not hitting the frequency enough to for the body mm. to adapt. Um, you will get stronger and there will be crossovers. There will be crossover benefits along the way. But yeah, that's where you probably want to tend towards more specificity rather than variety. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's something that I think everyone should probably reflect on and consider when they're looking at their their training. Um, I guess probably the next thing that we wanted to ask is just, are there any sort of big takeaways or learnings that you've had from your experience um, with your podcast in terms of like guests you've had on or just research that maybe you've delved into? Potentially, have there been things that you you actually got challenged yourself, like beliefs that, were challenged um in in your experience yeah um a couple of things like mainly from the guests that i have on because i do have a few um say researchers that come on or other health professionals that come on and i do like to keep an open mind i don't like to be really rigid in my beliefs and if someone if evidence starts emerging that challenges my thoughts. I take it into consideration, take into consideration with all the other evidence that I've taken on board. Um, one of the big radical shifts was I had Chris Brammer on as a researcher and pretty much like when I was interviewing him, the belief that I had was that there's no biomechanical issues that will increase your risk of injury. And that's what I got told in the past based on research mm. that's come out. Like there are no pronation like hip internal rotation or hip drop or knee internal rotation that's going to increase your risk of injury because the body just adapts, um, which is partly true. But uh, the research that Chris Bram has brought out is there are starting to emerge some evidence to show there are certain biomechanical issues that can link to injury. And one of them being um, contralateral hip drop. So if you're contacting the Mm. ground with your right foot and your left hip is traveling more towards the ground and kind of um, skewing the the pelvis and skewing the hips from being level, there has been shown to be a slight link between that and <clears throat> increasing likelihood of injury. And that the research that he is currently doing has shown that any increase, um, any one percent, any one degree increase of hip drop increases your likelihood of injury by sixty percent, and so quite significant. And mm. <clears throat> um, the same can be said for a slight forward trunk lean and a um, uh, increased knee stiffness. And so we know um, in the past, if you have an overreaching running style, so when the first time you make contact with the ground, how far in front of your body it is and how much of a breaking force it is producing can increase Mm. your likelihood of injury. So that's that's starting to show up in the evidence and that really challenged my thoughts as well. And followed Chris Bramer, read his articles and have taken that into consideration. And so um, 
a lot of, we know the pronation is actually more protective of injury than anything else. Um, but now we know that potentially I'm taking on board that this hip drop and this forward trunk lean, um, there may be a link to injuries. That's, um, something mm. that I've learned. One of the major things yeah. I've learned because I've been preaching, um, something totally different, like the, my, my entire like physio career, but yeah, now like this, with this emerging evidence started to, um, ask a few more questions, which I love doing. I love challenging myself and I love changing my own beliefs because it's always going to be for the better. Yeah. It's great to hear that you're so open to being challenged because I obviously as a practicing physio and also just as someone who wants to run uninjured and perform better, you've got to be open-minded to things changing or science evolving. So yeah, it's great to hear that because there's definitely people that you might see in the media that have this fixed well, they usually won't say that they're fixed mindset, but they'll just preach the same thing over and over again. And they don't always allude to the fact that there's usually um, more to every story. Nothing is usually actually black and white. So it's mm. great to hear that you're, you enjoy being challenged. Yeah. Um, and there's, really there's a positive. few more things that say um, one of the privileges that I have is actually interviewing other health professionals like mm. I have some chiros on there. I have some massage therapists. I have podiatrists and the best in the world who are well versed in like the latest evidence. And if you, if you follow the evidence, we tend to agree with a lot, but it, a lot of it is quite ego driven. Like there is this battle between mm. physios and chiros and like you, you have this um, debate of what's better and oh, chiros do this and that's not good. And they say physios do this, that's not good. And you can either have a candid discussion. You can have a really unbiased, open-minded discussion around where, what, what the evidence shows, or you can retreat back and sort of, um, have this real ego and kind of get more defensive and more attacking. And, Mm. um, that's never going to lead anywhere. You're never going to make any progress as a physio. You're just going to keep being so narrow minded. The more that people push back at you, the more you're going to get more defensive and more narrow minded rather than just opening up, asking other um, health professionals, asking what they do, asking what where the evidence lies. And um, I follow a lot of really key podiatrists. I follow a lot of key chiros that um, are well-versed in the evidence. And we all tend to agree about the same stuff. And so um, that's one privilege that I've had on my podcast as well, just interviewing a variety of people and helping my knowledge and, um, yeah, sort of being less defensive when it comes to what the physios do and what the only what the physios do you know what I mean (laughs) yeah it's good to like get opinions from different sort of people and I guess if someone was to get injured like at what point do you know well I guess who to see like do you see a chiro a podiatrist a physio whoever it is and like how long do you leave it before you start to seek help because I know there's the whole thing about niggles. You kind of start to feel something, but you're not sure, is it just going to pass on its own or is it going to hang around and turn into something else? Should you seek help early and try and prevent it from becoming something else? Or should you just kind of wait it out, see if it passes? And then if it doesn't, then come and find someone. Yeah. I, I Usually like runners will get niggles and runners will get injured. We can't get the injury risk down to zero. We can get it close to zero. We can get it closer to zero than where you are now by training smarter, but we can't get to zero injuries are going to happen. Like I know all these principles and I follow these principles really closely and I still get injured, but it's, it's knowing what to do once an injury arises like day one, day two, day three. So it turns into a, a five day injury rather than a five week injury. Um, 
that that's where the real magic happens. But mm-hmm. if someone is, if a runner is getting a niggle, um, try to recognize, okay, is it just DOMS? Is this good muscle soreness or is it an actual injury that's developing? And there's some easy characteristics or nature of the, the behavior of the pain to differentiate the two. But in general, wait a week or so. Um, if you're, if your injury isn't getting better, then probably see someone. If your injury is getting better, you don't need to see someone, but wait, monitor it for another week. And if it plateaus, and so let's say by week one, it's 50% better, but then by the end of week two, it's still 50% better. And it's just that the progress has plateaued, probably see someone. But we know in an ideal world, that doesn't usually happen. And someone has an injury for six weeks before they see a, a health professional. Um, so I would recommend just monitor it, see if it just spontaneously gets better, see if the body does the magical healing properties and mm-hmm. um, you're, back to, you're back to learning, okay, what was the mistake to start with? And let me learn from that and let me continue moving forward. But if it doesn't get better over time, then that's when you really need to see someone. Sometimes it might get better and they get worse and then it's a lot better and then it's, oh, it's still there and then it's just hanging around for a couple of months and you're like, I don't know when to see a physio because... It was getting better, but now it's not, you know, that's when you can get really stuck in the situation. But if it's definitely, if it's been going on for more than four weeks, it's not going to get better on its own. Uh, I'd definitely see someone then because it could just be just a adjustment in your training and then you're all better, but Mm. you just need the right guidance. And who exactly you see is really tricky because you can see some good physios, you can see some bad physios, you can see some good chiros, you can see some good podiatrists. Um, It's really hard for the, the runner to actually find someone who's, who knows what they're talking about. And so I don't know, I'd do my research I'd make sure that they are proficient with seeing runners. Um, usually if you see mm. like a GP or someone, they'll straight away, if they're not a runner, they'll straight away say, don't run. Running's bad for your knees. You <laughs> yeah. should probably do some cycling or probably do some gym classes or swimming or something. Um, mm. So that's like the worst thing you can hear, especially if you love running. Uh, so make yeah. sure that you see a health professional that is proficient with seeing runners. And it's hard to determine, but, um, see if what they are doing is evidence-based um just ask some questions ask if it is evidence-based and what they see and um yeah just get a general gauge or just get a second opinion if you do see a health professional you don't think it's heading down the right track there's no harm in a second opinion but um yeah it's quite tricky yeah and i guess it's probably specific to each individual case but with i guess the clients you see um do you do a lot of them have to completely stop running and rest for however long, a week or two weeks or whatever it is, and then ease back into it? Or can you, for most general injuries, obviously not fractures and those sort of things, can you continue running to some degree with most of these sort of chronic injuries? Yeah. Um, when I do see a runner, an injured runner, one of the questions I ask myself is, okay, how much running do I think they can do without exacerbating their injury? Um, we're still doing the right things. Like you can still um, do the right injury management. You can still do the right strengthening exercises and they can still run at small amounts and they're happy doing those small amounts for the first week. And they're happy because they're still running. Um, but it all depends on the injury. It depends on the severity. It depends how long they've had it for. It depends on how irritable it is. Um, all these behaviors is something that we need to establish as a physio we need to establish okay what's their current exercise tolerance can they hop on one side for 30 seconds um, without their injury being exacerbated can they walk for 30 minutes without their injury being exacerbated Uh, we just ask these sort of questions these capacity questions to determine okay you can probably still run let's 
do it as a trial and error. Let's pay attention. And one of the lessons that I teach my runners on the podcast is you don't necessarily need to aim for pain-free running. We can aim for low levels of pain as long as the symptoms don't flare up after the run, as long as the, the symptoms stay quite low and quite consistent during the run, and as long as there's no significant flare up the next day, then that's a good sign that you've tolerated that level of running. And it's a it's very much trial and error focused. It's very much starting off at a starting point um, once we've done some capacity tests to establish where they're where they can still run to, where their current capacity is. So that might be a 20 minute slow run. It might be like a 5K or something. But yeah, I try my best to keep the runners running. That way they're, um, they've got a bit more of a mental clarity. They're not really um, jittery to get back and run because they'll rest for four days and then just go out and run 10Ks and flare up the symptoms because they're getting way mm. too jittery. Um, so it can be nice for recovery to keep them in some levels of running. And once they're tolerating a certain level, slowly build it up and see how they're tolerating it. Um, but there's also good evidence, especially around tendinopathies, that if you continue doing your strength exercises, if you continue doing your running with low levels of pain and make sure that it doesn't get quite, it does, does get worse after or the next day, you actually return back to pain-free running quicker than if the aim was to do everything totally pain-free. So you're doing your deadlifts quite heavy, but it's three out of 10 pain compared to someone who can only do body weight deadlifts or like two kilo deadlifts with zero pain. They're not, they're going to be underloading their body quite a lot. And so if we stick to these low levels of pain guidance and guide them along the way, they're actually going to get better quicker. Mm. And so that's why low levels of pain with running is okay because um, I want them to still run and I want them to return to pain-free running quicker. Yeah, that's good to know. I feel like for a lot of people, they are aiming for pain-free because I think mm. at least in my experience in the past, I mean, I've definitely changed my beliefs around pain um, in terms of like injury pain. But yeah, in the past, and I've heard lots of people sort of um, say similar things that in their head, they, they shouldn't have any pain. Like they're expecting, obviously, you know, like, they're finding their workout hard if they're running hard like their lungs or whatnot but in terms of injury pain they feel the tiniest bit and think oh my goodness like it's back my injury's back that's it I have to stop so it sounds like you're saying that as long as it doesn't flare up afterwards and it stays at that two to three out of ten is that what you said Brody yeah anything yeah. that's below a four out of ten um is my general guidelines it's where the evidence kind mm. of pushes people towards um, yeah. but yeah, the, the other, the other component of that is so less than 10, uh, less than 10 out of four out of 10 pain during the run and it stays stable after the run, it stays stable mm. the next day, but week by week, it should be improving. Um, yeah, that's gotcha. the general, that's a general gist. If they're, if they've been doing it for six weeks and they're still that low level pain, you probably should be changing something else. You should probably mm. be implementing different strength training. Um, you're probably tolerating the level of running, but because we're not seeing that improvement week over week, there's probably something that we, we need to change. And there's some really good evidence. Yeah. Like um, Jay Fasculier has this um, patellofemoral knee pain uh, article and he released in 2017 where he just told a whole bunch of people with patellofemoral pain, they've had it for more than four mo uh, three months, so it's not going to get better on its own, um, to just divvy up their running, had the same pain level advice. 
said that make sure that um, if they are doing two long runs a week, let's spread that out to four shorter runs a week. So they're still doing the same mileage, follow the same pain levels and they just got better. Like two to three, two to three months later, they're, they're back to pain-free running. So there is evidence to point to um, this, these particular guidances and um, yeah, runners just get better because of it. And it's a misconception a lot of times that you should be, if you are injured, you should be not running and you should be returning to run pain-free um, straight away. Mm. And so that's why we follow the evidence and why we follow that guidance because it's just doing the, the runners a lot more service. Yeah, well, thank you for clearing that up. I think that's certainly key for runners to understand that. I mean, obviously, there's a lot of factors, but yeah, no, it's good that you've made that quite clear. Um, what else? Was there anything else, Sophie, that you wanted to ask? Um, I just wanted to chat about a little bit more about what you actually do, Brody, in terms of if there's anyone listening that would like a little bit of help. I know you've got some courses online, um, some injury prevention, some rehab and performance courses and a few other, like you've got heaps of information available, obviously the podcast Mm. as well. But if you want to just chat about kind of what you do day to day and how you could kind of help some people that may be struggling with injury at the moment. Of course. Thanks. So, uh, what I encourage people to do to start with is like invest in your own knowledge first. So um, that's where the podcast comes in. It's it's free. You can listen to all the episodes that are relevant to you uh, and just try and make sensible decisions yourself to see if you can overcome it yourself. And if you just follow the right guidance, usually it can get people over the line. But if they can't do it on their own or they don't have the time or they don't want to invest in their own knowledge, they don't have the time to listen to 120 podcast episodes, um, <laughs> then they can reach out and we can do online physio. They can work one-on-one with me. Um, so we can include the, the website and the show notes. It's breakthroughrunning.physio. Um, and, yep. But most people usually reach out on social media first to say, hey, I'm going through this. Do you reckon we go through physio? Or do you reckon we do something else um, before they actually make the commitment to, to doing some online physio? But if, the, um, if they do want to invest some money and try and invest in the knowledge on their own. I do have those online courses as well. So I do have a a running app. So the Run Smarter app, which you can just look up, has a lot of free stuff. It has a lot of free podcast episodes and blogs, but also has some paid courses that um, people can start investing in their own knowledge. And so no matter what they want to do, no matter how much they want to commit money-wise or time-wise or whether they want to do the one-on-one or do it on their own, they've They've all got their own options. And so that's what I do day to day. I produce content. I produce paid free content. I do online um, one-on-one stuff and just work with runners all day long, which is why I just have so much passion. Yeah, the dream. That's so good. (laughs) That's amazing. Yeah, I 100% would recommend all our listeners to check out Brody's podcast. I know I've gotten a lot of value. There's so many episodes which I've listened to numerous times. Um, And yeah, for all our listeners – definitely check that out there's some episodes which are shorter and have got more detailed information on quite specific topics and then others are a bit longer um and dive more into potentially whoever the guest is their specialty topic or yeah i mean there's so much there's something for every interest Mm. on your podcast obviously within running um but yeah it's that there's a lot a lot there who knows when I'll run out of ideas. Everyone says, how do you, yeah. with such like a niche topic, like in so many episodes, when are you going to run out of ideas? But 
I've got months of content already planned out to yeah. go and I haven't, I haven't run out yet. So we'll see. Yeah, that's, that's good. Fantastic. I mean, yeah, there are so many things. Like we could talk all day. Like we could yeah, just keep asking say. so many different questions, but yeah. people can just go and listen to it for, for themselves. But um, yeah, or but maybe I can come back on for round two. Yeah, well, that's it. Yeah, we can dive into some Please more specific do. things. This, this is just your intro and then we'll get you on every week <laughs> sure. for a different yeah. topic. <laughs> but yeah, that's no, it. we provide a lot of value, which is really good. And um, I think a lot of runners, especially if they're, you know, training for some big events coming up now that there's some events on this year and things like that, they might have to look at, yeah, figuring some more things out that they that they don't already know. Because um, I think because running is such an accessible sport, you know, you can just go and do it. You don't really need much gear or you don't really need to know much technique and all that sort of stuff, um, which makes it great because, you know, anyone can do it. But I think then you can run into injuries quite easily because you just go out there not not really knowing what you're doing. So if you're thinking of sort of starting to get into it, it might be worth having a bit of a listen while you go for your run. Um, chuck on a few of the podcast episodes and get a bit more knowledge before you get too deep into it. Yeah, no runners want to be injured, but a lot of runners do get yeah. injured. We know that like yes. um, every year around about 70, 80% of runners are injured. So, um, huge. And it is something where there are so many misconceptions and you will get so far and you will have a huge advantage if you do invest in some knowledge. And so, yeah, it's good to be in this, this little niche. Yeah, for sure. That's fantastic. Wow. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we will put all your links in the show notes um, for your podcast, for your website, for your app, um, your social media. Do you want to let everyone know what that is as well? Yeah. So I'm probably most active on Instagram rather than anywhere else. Uh, so Run mm-hmm. Smarter Series is my handle and I do post like exercises or articles that I like to review or blogs or <clears throat> Uh, podcast episodes that are being released so if people just want to if you if you like instagram then you can follow me there yeah perfect cool all right well thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it um yeah just so good to have you on because we've listened to so many of your episodes before so it's it's just cool to actually have you on and talk to you in real life and not just yeah it's a pleasure to be on not be able to ask (laughs) questions back (laughs) yeah (laughs) thank you very much for the opportunity guys had a lot of fun yeah perfect yeah awesome thank you brody